Well, growing up, and I, I've told stories about growing up over and over around here. You, you've heard plenty of them. But growing up during the summer, as many of you know, my family was always involved in vacation Bible school. My family was seemed to be committed to being involved in every VBS that was within a five-mile radius of our own church's VBS, which we also attended. And so I knew going into the summer that there were going to be many times that I was going to sing Father Abraham had many sons. And I was going to pledge allegiance to all the flags in the Bible. And more than anything, I was going to drink red Kool-Aid from those little plastic striped cups with the built on handle. I, I don't know why that was a thing then. Um, and eat those circle wafer cookies. I was going to do that all summer long. And my grandmother, one year, she made a deal with me. If I would go to the VBS in the morning, I could stay the whole afternoon at the pool. And so that just added to the excitement. I get to go to VBS and then I get to go to the pool. But I was always at some VBS, it seemed like. I was the Southern Baptist little twit that was at every VBS and everybody knew I was going to be there. But one of my favorite VBS memories came as an adult. And it was the summer after my first year of Bible college. And I was going to be back home for the summer in Tennessee before I got married. And I volunteered to serve at my grandparents' VBS, which led to the week before me being on an outreach team with my crazy granddad. And some of you have heard the stories of him. And he was... Just this crazy evangelist who was always sharing the gospel with anybody. And I was going to be on his outreach team one night. And so after one year of Bible college, I thought, you know, I'm going to show him how to really share the gospel. I'm going to teach him how to do this because he really doesn't know how to share the gospel. And it wasn't long. I realized my granddad could have cared less what I knew about evangelism and didn't want to hear any anything I had to say about how to share the gospel with people. And I would say his approach is best described as kamikaze. He just goes in. He doesn't even care. And it literally happened at one apartment complex. We were knocking on doors and we walked by a window and he could see a man inside who was sitting in a recliner drinking a beer and watching Will of Fortune. And so he wasn't going to be able to hide from him. He saw him in there. He knew what was going on. And so my granddad hit the door once like he was going to knock and then just grabbed the doorknob and busted right in this man's house. And he did what he always did anywhere he went. He announced himself. I'm J.T. Argrove. And the guy looked at him like, well, you're in my living room. And he said, I'm here to invite your kids to VBS. And the guy trying to be sharp, he said, well, can I bring this beer? And my granddad, without without checking up one second, one moment, calling his bluff, said, yeah, if you'll come to VBS, bring all the beer you want. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world is going on here? But I'll never forget. That's probably my favorite VBS moment. And those kids came to VBS every night that week. And we all probably have those memories if you grew up around church. And, and some of us who didn't grow up around church, we still went to vacation Bible schools every summer. And we have those memories imprinted in our 
brain and hopefully in our hearts of things that we did and people that we met. And hopefully the word of God took grip in our heart in some way, even as kids. But I do want to ask the question, why do we do this? Why would we do this this week? Why would we give so much time and energy over to vacation Bible school? Well, I think we find some answers here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm going to move through this chapter again as we've just read. But I'm going to summarize and make some summary applications of what Moses is teaching the people of Israel here. He's preparing them to enter the promised land. And Moses preaches a sermon series through the law. And he wants to tell them what is going to be required of them when they enter the land. And while this chapter doesn't command a vacation Pentateuch Academy in any way, there are pointed applications to the way we think about children in our midst as the people of God. Notice verse 1, we first of all see we are called to obey the Lord. Moses says, now this is the commandment. He's summarizing here all the statutes and rules that the Lord God had commanded the people of Israel. He is unpacking these things for the people of Israel that when they go into the land and they possess the land, notice verse two, he says this, he summarizes it up. When you go into the land, this is the commandment that you fear the Lord, your God, and not just you fear the Lord. Notice Your sons and your son's sons, they fear the Lord. And what does this fear lead to? Keeping all of his statutes and commandments. Which he says, I command you all the days of your life that your days may be long. He says, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful. Be be intentional, be focused on keeping all of the commands of the Lord that it may go well with you. That you may greatly multiply As the Lord's people before the God of your fathers who has promised you this land flowing with milk and honey. This land that will provide not just what you need, but more than what you need. He says, as you go into the land, your first requirement is to fear the Lord. To be in awe of the Lord. And as you fear the Lord, you're going to keep his commandments. You see, God had promised his people, I am committed to your good and I'm giving you this land and I'm going to redeem you from your enemies. I am committed to you, but you have a responsibility. You enjoy and you experience my commitment to you when you fear me and when you obey what I have called you to do. And notice as as we see here how fear and obedience work together. What is it required of us to obey the Lord? Well, at the very heart of obedience is fear. It's all throughout Scripture. The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord, is to tremble before the Lord. We we like to say this isn't terror or scary fear, but there is a sense in which it is if you're in sin and you disobey the Lord, you should be terrified of him. If you willfully disobey him. And so if you're ever going to obey him, there has to be a sense in which you say he is holy. He is the creator. He is righteous. He is big. He is powerful. And I must tremble before him. 
The degree which you disobey the Lord in your life right now is the degree which you say God is small. He is insignificant. He is weak. He doesn't matter. I'm smarter than him. There's no fear of the Lord in that. And therefore, there's no obedience in that. You will disregard what he says if you do not fear him. But notice Moses continues here, O Israel, and this section is part of the Shema, which means to hear. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Jesus, when he quotes here, he adds the word mind. It just means you must love the Lord with everything you are. Your whole self, your heart, which refers actually to the deepest part of who you are. Many translations would say your kidneys. In the deepest part of who you are, you are to love the Lord. In every way, you are to love the Lord. Verse 6, And these words that I commanded you shall be on your heart. They shall be written in the deepest part of who you are. And notice what this leads to. You shall teach them diligently to your children. If the commands of the Lord are a part of who you are, the next generation is going to see and they're going to hear. And he says, you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. If the commands of the Lord are in the deepest part of who you are, you're always going to be talking about them as you go out with your children. You're going to be talking about the law of the Lord, the commands of the Lord. They're going to be all around. They're going to be a part of everything you do at home, at work, in the marketplace. When you are recreating, you're going to be talking about the commands of the Lord. Why? Because you love him with all of your heart. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. If you are going to have any markings or signs or symbols on your body, which was prohibited of Israel, they must be the law of the Lord. And this is in some sense symbolic. Later, it was applied in very concrete ways. But the word of God is to be all around at all times. And you shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. The commandments of the Lord are to be everywhere at all times because God is a part of the deepest part of who you are. And you cannot escape it. You can't escape it. Now, this part, which is a part of the Shema, means to hear or confess. This section of Scripture it, it was Israel's confession of faith. It was like combining the Pledge of Allegiance in John 3.16. They all knew it. This was a part. This was the, this summed up their responsibility to the Lord. And notice what is pointed out here. The Lord, your God is one Israel. Unlike the rest of the nations, you have one God. You look at all your enemies and they have many gods. You have one. You don't have the God of finance, the God of love. You, you don't have the God of food. You have one God who takes care of all of those things for you. But what does that require of you? You have one Lord, but you are to have one devotion to that one Lord with your whole self. You, you are literally, he says, one with the Lord. The Lord is one and and you are one in the sense of you are one person. And then you are one with the Lord in your single devotion to him. The issue here is one, one Lord and one devotion. All of you and all of the Lord in this covenant personal relationship. And notice it's summed up in love. 
So we ask the question, how do we obey the Lord? Well, first of all, we fear the Lord. How do we obey the Lord? We love the Lord. We are all committed to him. And notice the beautiful description of covenant love here. It's personal. You, you are one with the Lord who is one. All of the Lord is committed to your good. And he, he does what is good for you. And therefore you, one person before the Lord, is to be committed to his one holy name, to his good. And then the, what flows out of this is if you love the Lord, you will teach your children about the Lord. It will be a priority in your home. Kids, your children will see your fear and love of the Lord. Because you will order everything around what he has said. You, you will stand before him in reverence and say, we obey the Lord. And you will stand before him in love and say, we love the Lord. And it overflows into your children's life and they see it and they hear it and they feel it. It is a part of everyday life. Now, we know in Scripture, we obey this command of obeying the Lord ultimately by obeying Jesus. When we think about the Lord being one and we think about our single devotion to the Lord, ultimately that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one Lord in flesh and blood. And he calls us to do one thing, which is what? Take up our cross and follow him. And that is the way we love the Lord with our whole being. We follow him. Jesus would declare to us, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You have seen the Holy God of Israel. And you want to know what he requires of you? Love him with your whole being. What does that look like? Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to know how to love the Lord today, you want to know how to obey the Lord, you follow Jesus. But here's the deal. You will not follow him if you do not fear him. If there is no reverence in your life before Jesus where you say he is a former corpse king back from the dead, nothing can stop him. He is standing at the right hand of God, ruling the cosmos right now. And that does not bring a little bit of trembling in your heart. You're not going to care what he says about your finances. You're not going to care what he says about parenting. You're not going to care what he says about relationships. You're not going to care because there's no trembling within you. You don't see him as king. And if you don't love him, you're not going to follow him. If you don't see his love for you on the cross, the greatest love ever displayed, Jesus dying for his enemies, which is you, which is me. We don't deserve him taking on flesh and enduring the wrath of God for us. That is the greatest act of love. And if you don't look upon that and you're not enamored by love, you're not going to love him. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, be willing, take up your cross, which means be willing to die. Which means be willing to love the Lord with all of you, all you are. There's nothing you hold back from him. You are given over to him. And so we must fear the Lord and love the Lord to serve Jesus Christ in obedience to the Lord. And here's the deal. If you do not fear him or love him, I want you to ask the question, do you really know him? Do you know him? 
it, it would seem impossible to know Jesus and not have some sort of respect for him. Some sort of reverence for him. And yet the notion in many Christians life is he's just a mascot. He's just a mascot for my life. NASCAR Christianity, where he's just one of the brands that I staple on my Facebook page. He's just sort of like this lucky charm. I, I, I tip my hat to him on Sunday, so I hope things go well with me through the week. Oh, there's no reverence for Christ in that kind of faith. And there certainly won't be any love for Jesus when you don't understand who he is. The infinite, sinless son of God dying for your sin. That's amazing. The one you should fear is the only one who can save you. But notice he continues. And when the Lord, your God, brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers. Notice this is a promise from the very beginning. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, he promised that that they would be his chosen people. He would give them land, seed, blessing. They would multiply. They would always fill and experience his love in the world. And ultimately, the nations would be blessed through them. He swore this promise to them and he hasn't gone back on it. He's going to still give it to Israel. But notice where they'll go. He will give you the land with great and good cities that you did not build. You see, here's the catch. Someone else lives in the land now. Your enemies live in the land, but he's still going to give it to you. Notice houses full of good things that you did not fill. Cisterns that you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant when you eat and you are full. So he's going to give you this land that is occupied by your enemies and you're going to go into a land and you're going to look around and say, there are all kinds of stuff here that we didn't do. God is using your enemies to build you a land to give it to you. That's his goodness. That's his grace. That's his love for you. This has nothing to do with you. You're not even building the kingdom that he's going to give you. This is all of grace. And so what is the danger? Verse 12. When you get in that place, take care, be careful. Here's a warning. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is going to be real easy when you start enjoying the blessings of the land. When you start looking around saying, we arrived. We're here. Story over. You're going to forget where the story began. When you had shackles around your wrist and ankles in Egypt in a house of slavery. Notice verse 13. It is the Lord your God who you shall fear. Again, word fear. And you shall serve by his name and shall swear. And you shall not go after other gods. The gods of the people around you. You don't look around at the land and you say, look at what all these other gods did here. Look at how they provided for their people. And then you are swayed into idolatry. Verse 15, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. And when we hear that word, we think about a jealous boyfriend. That's not at all what that means. He is committed to your devotion to him. Why? He is the only one worthy of your devotion. He is committed that you not be an idolater. Why? 
Idolatry serves nothing for you. It is harmful for you. He is the one who takes care of you, so you shall only serve him. And he's so fearful or or so jealous for your devotion that he warns. Notice verse 15. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you. This is how committed to your good he is. He warns you he will be angry and wrathful toward you and will destroy you off the face of the earth if you chase after other gods. In the context of the Old Testament, idolatry was always talked about in terms of harlotry. That there is a God who has betrothed himself to you and he has worked for your good. And for you to turn around and cheat on him with other gods is unfaithfulness. And he will wipe you out. He, he is, why? Because that's not for your good. It, it's not just God is stuck on himself and loves himself because he is selfish. No, he knows you chasing after other gods is bad for you. And so he is relentlessly committed to your good. And he gives this warning here and he describes this picture of unfaithfulness here. So you would not forget the Lord. And notice verse 16, you shall not put the Lord to your test or or to the test. This means to doubt the Lord as the people of Israel tested him at Massa. This was a place where they began to whine and they began to complain and they became thirsty. And they looked at Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? We're out here on our own and we are so thirsty. We would rather go back and, and, and serve Pharaoh. We would rather go back to Egypt. And they, the word test, we would say doubt it and put the Lord to the test in their doubts, in their complaints. Notice, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord. Now notice throughout, obeying the Lord is connected to fear. And now it's connected to remembering the Lord. And now it's connected to trusting the Lord. You fear the Lord. You love the Lord. You obey the Lord. You remember the Lord. And now you trust him because you remember him. Notice. And your God and his testimonies and statues which he commanded you. You remember these things and you shall do what is right in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you. That you may go in and take possession of the land, uh, of the good land that is God swore to give to your fathers by thrusting all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. So God's going to wipe out all of the enemies in the land. But don't forget, he is the one who is doing it. And always remember what he has done for you so that you trust him. You remember all he's done. And so you continually trust him. So that you obey him. Now we remember the Lord by remembering Jesus. We can't even talk about remembering the Lord without talking about Jesus. The people of Israel, the moment for them was walking across the Red Sea on dry land. They couldn't forget that. They went from being slaves under under. Pharaoh, who was harsh, this harsh taskmaster, 
and, and they are delivered by the Lord and they walk through the great, uh, the great Red Sea as it is opened up for them. And then Pharaoh's armies are crushed. And he says, the only way when you get into the land is that you're going to obey the Lord is if you remember that moment. You can't leave that moment. Because in that moment, you see God is big and God is glorious and God is holy. As you see the armies of Pharaoh suffocating in the water, you remember God is just and God is wrathful. But you also remember it is the Lord who is good. So never forget it so that you always obey. And the same things for the Christian. You want to be one who fears and loves and follows Jesus? Don't ever forget the cross. Live at the cross. Don't test the Lord by remembering the cross. Don't doubt the Lord by remembering the cross. You see, we tend to complain, which complaining is a sin. It's a sin. It's not a sport. It's not just something we do for a hobby. Why is complaining a sin? Because you are saying something about what's going on in your life. As you say something about what's going on in your life, you are declaring what God is doing is something you don't like. And to keep yourself from complaining, you have to remember the cross. When you want to complain about traffic. When you want to complain about your kids. When you want to complain about taxes. And you drift into those areas where your heart is very bitter and you begin to question what God is doing. Remember the Lord. And remember on the cross, you have seen a fearful, loving, good God pierced for your transgressions under your wrath, uh, under the wrath you deserve. You're not going to hell. So what do you have to complain about? You have been promised eternal joy forever and ever. What do you have to grumble about? And more than that, why would you test God? You see, complaining tests God and says, do you really love me? Are you really for me? Do you really care about me? And God would say, don't test me. Let's go back to Calvary and answer those questions. Because you deserve to be there. You posed yourself as my enemy and said, you're going to do what you want. You rebelled against me. You were in infinite sin and judgment. And I sent my son to die for you. Remember the cross. The gospel cannot be assumed in our life because our trust of God cannot be assumed. You can't just wake up in the morning and go, I'm just going to assume that I'm going to trust God today. That's just who I am. I always trust the Lord. I'm never full of grumbling and complaining like these other sinners that I have to live with. I'm full of joy at all times. Now, you know that about yourself. You're not going to wake up in the morning. You you begin to complain about the sound of the iPhone alarm that you set yourself. Change the sound if you don't like it. But in the morning, you begin, whoa, I hate that sound. That's the way we begin our lives. Why? Because we tend to think only of ourselves. You can't assume today that you are going to trust the Lord. And so you have to remember the gospel. The gospel cannot be assumed in your life. 
Even as the people of Israel were to put it on their wrist and their foreheads and they were to have it everywhere. You must have the gospel all over your life to keep you from doubting the Lord. And notice what happens. Verse 20. And when your sons ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and rules the Lord has commanded? Now, why are they going to ask that question? Because you're going to be talking about the commandments, statutes and rules of the Lord all the time. And it's going to be a part of your life. And they're going to ask, why are we doing this? Why is this such a part of our life? The commandments of the Lord. They're also going to ask because you obey the Lord. If you don't obey the Lord, your children's your children will not ask about the Lord. It's going to be irrelevant to their life. They're not going to care. Notice verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. We were in bondage. And it is the Lord who brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with signs and wonders against Egypt, against Pharaoh and his household. Let me tell you this story of the way God, through Moses, his prophet, delivered us from Egypt. He, he wiped out Pharaoh and his army. He humiliated the gods of Egypt and he rescued us. You want to know why we go through all of this rigmarole? You want to know why I'm obeying the Lord? Because he delivered us from Egypt. And he brought us out from there. That he might bring us in and give us this land that is swore to the, to the fathers. The land that you're living in. This, this land that is full of prosperity. The Lord's blessing. God brought us here by his mighty hand. And then when he brought us here, verse 24. He commanded us to do all the statutes to fear the Lord for our good always. This is for our good that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. You see us standing here in this land. You see us enjoying the blessings of God. God did this. The ground you're standing on is the ground God provided. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all that is commanded before the Lord as he commanded. And here again, as we see this emphasis throughout on the commandments, statutes, commandments, rules, testimonies. Why is this such a part of their life? And we get to the end, it's so no one forgets. You tell them over and over and over again. You do them over and over and over again. You say them over and over and over and over again. And your kids are going to say, why in the world are we doing this? Why, why is this going on? And you know this as a parent. That is the, fa- that is the favorite question of your kids, right? Why? Why is there water in the toilet? Why, why are green lights green? Why do dogs have four legs? Why does this smell this way? Why, 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 why? Well, God has designed this curiosity in kids to give you the easiest opportunity for evangelism that you will ever have. It is that they are so curious about the world and they are constantly looking at you. Why, 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 why? And you are to say, because the Lord saved us. But here's the deal. If the Lord isn't central in your life, you never have that opportunity with your kids. If the Lord isn't center in your life, they're not going to ask, why are we doing these things? And you miss that opportunity. 
The people of God throughout history have done a lot of weird things to cause questions from the next generation so that they just have an opportunity to say the Lord. The Lord saved us. Why do we obey his commands? The Lord saved us. Why do we worship the Lord? The Lord saved us. Why do we go to these sacrifices? Why do we have these festivals? Why do we make these sacrifices? The Lord God saved us from his, uh, from Egypt when we were in bondage as slaves. We do this so you do not forget. That's why we tell of the Lord's great holiness, love to the next generation. And here's what's tragic in our own culture right now is the world is replacing the story of truth and reality for your kids. And you can whine and complain about it as much as you want. But if you're not telling them why, you have no credibility to whine and complain. What are you telling your kids? Truth, reality is. What are you doing? The, the world's going to tell their own narrative because the world hates God. The girl, world hates Jesus. What are you telling your kids? What are you telling the next generation? And it's also why your children should be immersed in the life of the church. You see it here. In the life of the church, in the life of the community of God, Deuteronomy 6 is for a community. You're constantly doing these things as a community, not just as individuals. And you, as a Christian in this world, should make sure the next generation is a part of the life of the church. Why do we meet in a warehouse? Why do we baptize in a cattle trough? Why do we do this? Why? Why do we partake in the Lord's table? Why do we sing those songs? Why do we open that book? Why do we read that story? Why does that guy talk so long on Sunday? Because the Lord saved us. And let me tell you this, no other answer suffices. Some of you grew up in homes where other answers were given. I want to give you the freedom today to give the right answer. Because some of you grew up in homes where it was... Because I said so. That's not a good answer. That's not a good answer. Because it'll be fun. And most of us know going to church wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. Now we're going to try to have fun this week. But it wasn't always fun. There were bad answers given to many of us here. Just because we want to be good people. Those are irrelevant answers to your children. And they do not transform their life. Here is the answer that transforms your kid's life. Why, mom? Why, dad? Because I was a sinner guilty of hell. And the Lord saved me on the cross. I can't help but serve him. I can't help but give my life over to him. You see the difference in that answer? And your kids feel it and they see it. And it gives them a different perspective on the things of God. Because the Lord saved us and the gospel's true. What else would we do? 
What else would we give our life over to, son? What else would we give our life over to, daughter? What else would we do with our life? He delivered us. He saved us. We were guilty of hell. This is why, parents, your kids should know your personal testimony. Do your children know how you came to faith in Christ? Do they know that story? Then they have no idea why you're sitting in these chairs today. It's irrelevant to them. Take them home this afternoon and say, we're going to get VBS started right. You're going to hear how I got saved. Because I want you to know why we do this. And then they're going to walk in here and they're going to say, why? Why, why? They're going to say, why can't we do this every week? Why can't we do this every Sunday? Why the lion heads? Why the vines? Why the styrofoam blocks? Why the four-wheelers? Why do we have four-wheelers back here? I cannot start up and ride. That is the pressing question. And you're going to say, because of the Lord delivered us. And we do all this because I don't want you to forget it. We spend all this time and energy, the stuff we're going to throw in the trash. So I don't want you to forget the Lord saved us. I'm going to sear it on your heart with a butchered paper torch. Because I want you to get it and not forget it. In January 2020, I was at my granddad's funeral. I was standing up front and I... I've never heard of someone who shared the gospel with more people. I just, it was story after story. Your granddad led me to faith in Christ. Your granddad uh, brought me to church. Your granddad was the, he, the, this great, bold evangelist. He was crazy, but he shared the gospel with so many people. And I remember the guy who drove the van that night when we went out to invite people to VBS. And he said, do you remember when your crazy granddad just threw that guy's door open and walked in and introduced himself. I'm here to invite your kids to VBS. And I said, yeah. And I, to be honest with you, in the moment, I was embarrassed. I was like, yeah, that was so embarrassing. He said, let me tell you this. That man's kids came every night to VBS and they're still going to church here 25 years later. <laughs> that's so powerful. That... That's why we do what we do to make sure the next generation obeys the Lord, remembers the Lord. And so we are aggressive and we tell of the Lord. And what was so powerful about that moment as I was thinking about that man's kids and now his grandkids go there. I was standing there with my kids And they heard this powerful testimony of the Lord and his goodness. And look around this room. Hundreds of times that's going to happen this week. Hundreds of times that's going to happen in this building this week. What might God be doing 10, 20, 30 years from now if you would say, okay, this is an opportunity for us to tell them why. And to make sure they don't forget.